everybody. Welcome back to the Moving Screen NBA podcast. Wes, we are four games or less left here in the regular season. March Madness just ended, but now we got April, which is a lot more fun for you and me. NBA playoffs coming soon. I mean, NBA playoffs are around the corner next week. We start jumping into the playing tournament, so it's going to be a whole different type of madness uh, here in the NBA with uh, the craziness of the Western Conference. We have no idea who's going to make the playoffs, who's going to be in what seed. It's going to be a wild finish out here in the West. Yeah, man, we're going to deep dive that West. Uh, this has been a lot of fun to watch. Last night especially was an amazing night of NBA basketball, especially in the Western Conference. But first things first, <clears throat> really good news here for the NBA. The NBA and the Players Association have agreed to a seven-year deal uh, to kind of keep labor peace uh, going forward, no lockouts uh, anywhere in sight. So good news there. Uh, what stood out to you from the new CBA agreement? There's a lot of different things. Um, you know, we'll jump into a few few different areas. You know, I kind of earmarked at least four different um, additions that uh, you know I found really interesting. But um, I, you mentioned there, it's a seven-year extension that starts next season here in the NBA. So huge news, guaranteed basketball through uh, 2030. Um, you know, and a big portion of that that I read here is that there's going to be a massive uh, new broadcast media rights deal that hits in 2025 that's supposed to bring in roughly 50 to 75 billion dollars here into the NBA. So uh, wow. influx of cash is on its way to a lot of NBA players. It's going to be pretty outrageous. Uh, I mean, people could make 70, 80 plus million with those kind of numbers. I, I kind of wonder what they'll do. Um, to kind of expand the pool of people receiving that cash. I, I know one small move in that regard was uh, teams will now get a third two-way contract to play with if they want. Uh, I know your Warriors have really utilized their two-way contracts this year, so I definitely definitely like adding that third uh, two-way. Yeah, that third two-way is going to be great. Just another um, ability to control a young asset, you know, developing young player that they earmarked. You you mentioned it, the Warriors used both of their two-way players to the fullest, you know, maxing out their 50-game usage here in the NBA. Uh, but you talked about more players getting cash. One of the things that stood out to me was um, the cap smoothing that they're going to be doing. Uh, you know, if you reckon back in 2016 when they had the cap spike, uh, it was a $24 million jump from 2015 to 2016, which you know a lot of people see and uh, remember for Kevin Durant joining the Warriors. Um, this go-around with this new CBA, uh, the cap itself won't increase by more than 10% a year. So if there's any sort of spillover as far as more money earned in the NBA, um, anything over that 10%, that spillover will just roll into the next season cap increase and what they're really hoping for, they said here, because a lot of um, that increase back in 2016, it was only one free agent class that was really able to take advantage of it. So what they're hoping for this go around is that more money for more players, it'll be able to help um, you know, affect multiple free agent classes. So more money in the players' pockets is essentially what they're trying to make happen. That's interesting. So with that smoothing, would it take maybe like up to five seasons or something like that to get all the way there? Or uh, how long would you think? Because 
if, if it's that long, then pretty much everyone would get a chance to get those uh, new bonuses, uh, unlike the 2016, as you mentioned. Yeah, that's the hope is that, you know, this can reach uh, four plus seasons potentially of that 10% increase in the salary cap. So that way, as you talked about, hopefully just about every single NBA player uh, would have the ability to, you know, benefit from some extra cash in their pocket. So I actually liked uh, that rule. I think that's a really cool addition because they're trying to, you know, like we talked about here, benefit all the players and not just one free agent class. So that's a good addition, this cap smoothing that they're talking about. I agree. I like that move. Um, man, so that, that cap's going to get up to maybe 170, 180 by the end of that uh, versus the roughly 110, 120 we've got now. So that would be quite a number. Um, another way players are making more money potentially is the new uh in-season tournament that is definitely happening and it's happening as soon as next season so the in-season tournament uh, will go on the winners will each get five hundred thousand dollars each for those for those players how do you feel about this in-season tournament so the real thing is going to be how this kind of figures out like what are they going to be doing to to implement it so what i've read here so far is that it's going to be taking place in December. So the first part of the regular season is essentially all those games are going to count as pool play games. And they're going to take the top eight teams. And I don't know if it's four from each conference or just the top eight records overall. And those eight teams are going to go into a single elimination tournament um, in December here, as I mentioned. So then after they reach that portion, the final four teams are going to go to a neutral site to play um, essentially what is similar to a NCAA basketball uh, final four. Uh, and they're you know, assuming that that's probably going to take place out here in Vegas. So those final four teams and then likely two nights later, they'll have the, the winner. Whereas you mentioned those players are getting an extra 500,000 in their pockets. So it's not chuck change to be taken away for winning this uh, in-season tournament. No, you know, I, I know a lot of people do not like this. Um, and I, I don't know how, like, super pumped I am about it necessarily. But I do think once we get to that final eight that you mentioned, it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, we all know that we like the NCAA tournament because of the single elimination. So you get eight teams in the single elimination tournament. I think it's going to be a, a, a fun television event. You know, everyone's going to be watching the same games for those nights. It's a, per, you know, premiere uh, event. I, you know, I, I would think it's going to be pretty cool. So hopefully people tune into it. Hopefully people kind of, you know, believe in it because it could be quite fun if, if it all goes correct. Well, these are probably similar feelings that not only players, but us as fans were saying about the playing tournament now. And it's just made it so much more exciting at the end of the season. And just think of how cool it could be to go to this um, in-season tournament Final Four event to where you get to see back-to-back NBA games. Like, that is a, a, you know, a dream for probably you and me to hopefully attend <laughs> one day and to, to go to a Final Four-type NBA setup. So that's got to be sweet. You're talking about some of the best players on the world, um, you know, with some of the best teams early on in the season. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see, as you talked about, are the players as excited as we are? Is it going to pan out as well as you know Adam Silver is hoping for? Because he's been pushing for this essentially ever since he became commissioner here in the association. Yeah, it's been one of his pet projects for sure. So we'll see how it goes next season. Uh, an- another update was 
the awards. So players are going to have to play in at least 65 games now to be eligible for any major awards, including MVP and also All-NBA. And for me, MVP seems like a no-brainer. I think pretty much all MVPs have played 65 or more games, so I don't think that's really much of a change. But for All-NBA, 65 is actually a pretty high number. And a lot of guys um, that are in contention this season are not going to reach that number. So I bet this year's 15 players All-NBA, at least two or three will probably be under 65 this year. It's going to be interesting to see who that drops and, you know, who that promotes uh, going forward. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, not only ties into that making the All-NBA team, but a lot of contracts have bonuses and perks to where if they make an All-NBA roster, they get an increased you know, bonus on, on the annual salary. So if they're not playing these 65 games to then not be eligible to make an all NBA roster, it could affect the players pockets in the long run. So I'm also wondering, is this going to maybe diminish some of the load management games um, where players might consider, you know, playing in a game that this year they might've rested in, uh, you know, to hit that 65 games. So they would be, you know, only having 17 eligible games of actual injury. So I'm curious. It's it's going to be, um, you know, a kind of a backdoor avenue for maybe a few players who wouldn't typically make it to, you know, surpass those three or four that might make it this year that wouldn't have hit that 65-game threshold. It's going to be something to watch. Yeah, I think it's definitely the hope is that it, you know, curtail some of the load management for sure. Um, I, it's going to be interesting because I think as we go down towards the end of like next year, people are going to be counting those games out. Like I think this year, Curry, Booker, um, those are some examples of guys that would not qualify um, for all NBA. So it, it's it's going to be interesting because it's actually a pretty high number, but I think it's also fair. I mean, we, we want players to play in, in the games, we want them to be rewarded for playing in those games. So overall, I like it. I was just somewhat surprised at it being as high as 65. Yeah, I think 60 would have probably been a more reasonable number, you know, for players. Um, but 65, I mean, the owners, they're paying these guys major dollars. So they're hoping they're playing 75 plus, not just 65. So um, I'm OK with the 65 marker. Uh, I'm just like you said, when this all NBA teams roll out this year, I will probably be going back and looking at those 15 players to see who was above the 65 games and who was not. Absolutely. Me too. Uh, and, and really, when you pick all NBA teams, one of the key factors you have to weigh against when things get close is how many games did they play? And people all weigh that differently in their evaluations. So this kind of takes that one argument out basically if you qualify i think that's going to be basically all the same from there right but it takes away all those other candidates that you're like i don't know maybe his 60 games are as good as his 65 well in this case uh you know no go so i think it could help simplify some of the decisions uh during all nba but it's just gonna be interesting to see you know who that might be for yeah it's gonna be interesting to see you know, next year, what player is at that 63 or 64 game threshold and just barely misses out on the opportunity for an all NBA squad when, you know, they might have been worthy of it uh, in prior years. Yeah, so definitely an interesting one uh, that probably got maybe the most buzz. But one other 
thing that I had on this CBA, which I actually really like this. Um, the one and done rule is still in place. So no high schoolers are coming to the NBA. Um, no, no shout out to the LeBron, Kobe, Kevin Garnett days. Those are not coming back. Uh, we are sticking with the one and done rule. And I think the key factor has been with all the G League Ignite, with the Australian League bringing people over, with all of the money that's going into college sports now, there's just no reason as like a labor reason to not allow people to come to the NBA. And so with this in place, we can ensure that roster spots aren't taken up by 18 year olds that aren't good yet. Right. I mean, in general, rookies are below average players, especially one straight out of high school. So uh, I actually like this one and done staying in place. It's just interesting how for years and years, people have talked about this being removed, but nope, it stays just the same. Yeah, and I completely agree. I think um, a lot of the times when these young players, even the one and done players who come into the pros, they're not ready yet. You know, their bodies aren't ready. Uh, we've seen lots of injuries take place. You could just, you know, come back to, um, you know, Blake Griffin when he came out. He had an injury. Um, you know, Chet Holmgren, uh, Jabari Parker, uh, you know, Joel Embiid. Guys are doing one and done, and they physically aren't ready to play in the NBA. Um, and like you said, they're eating up roster spots. So by not adding the one and one and one um, and, you know, allowing high schoolers to come in, I think it's a good thing here for the NBA by adding that third two way contract that still gives teams control over more players. And I think that's really what the franchises wanted here uh, was just more control over more, you know, basketball players here in the association. Yeah, I mean, an 18 year old is just kind of burning a hole on your roster if if the coach isn't going to play them. And very few, you know, basically LeBron and Garnett were the only ones that could even get on the court uh, for the most part, uh, you know, straight out of high school. So I, I think this is the right move. Um, the NBA has got a good system in place, especially with all the different avenues now where people can get to the NBA. Yeah, like I said, they can get to the NBA through college. They can go G League. Um, you know, they can play overseas. So there's lots of opportunities for adults, you know, right out of high school to make money playing basketball before joining the NBA. So uh, with that being the case, you already talked about college, uh, you know, nil contracts. These guys can still make money. And I think that was the biggest push in prior years was that we're hindering adults from making a career and a profession right away. That's no longer the case. You can make money anywhere. Absolutely. So big news for the CBA. Did you have anything else on that? I had two. Two others I wanted to bring up. Um, you know, one of the other major adjustments that they hit on this new CBA was what is um, a second salary cap apron, which is trying to deter teams from running up massive payrolls, such as what the Warriors have been doing um, and the Clippers, you know, as two of the teams that come to the top of the brain. But essentially now, this second salary cap apron would hinder teams that are 17 and a half million above the tax line. So there's some restrictions now to deter teams from going so high above. Um, so there's no more a uh, or no longer a taxpayer mid-level exception available to those teams. Um, they are limiting that they can no longer send out cash in any sort of trades. Uh, they can't deal first round picks seven years out. 
So they're limiting what type of assets they can trade, no cash, no first round picks way down the line. And then the big one to me, they can't sign players on the buyout market. So you're talking about the Clippers who just signed Russell Westbrook this year. They could not do that next year. So that's a huge hindrance to teams who are already spending big time bucks. And if you just were to forecast looking into next season, this second salary cap apron, this would affect roughly about 10 teams next year. So this is a big time rule. Um, you know, some of the teams that this could affect the Hawks, the Celtics, the Warriors and Clippers, who I already mentioned, the Nuggets, the Lakers, Heat, Bucks, Suns and 76ers. All 10 of those teams would currently be above that second salary cap apron. So this is a huge, huge adjustment here for the NBA to try and, you know, smooth out um, the parity throughout the league and really hurt those teams that are trying to rack up the bucks to the players. Yeah, you know, I actually like this overall, um, especially as the cap is going to rise so much. So that you, in general, that's going to make things easier to keep people around with the higher cap. So this kind of regulates it from there. I, I actually hadn't heard about the trade restrictions that you just outlined. So that's really interesting, um, especially the seven-year draft pick thing, which people have been using more and more the last couple of years. I find that you know a very interesting restriction. But overall, I think I like this. Um, this year it would have only affected three teams, I believe, the Warriors, Clippers, and Celtics. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo, uh, Danilo Gallinari were a couple of those signings that would not have been allowed. But it's uh, it's interesting. You know, I, I bet those teams are not happy about it because they're already still having to pay out extra for revenue sharing anyway when yep. they overspend. So it's like, why do... Why does it matter if I'm already paying more revenue sharing? So uh, there are definitely sides to both of it. But like you said, clearly the NBA likes this parity across the league. They do. And like you said, there's a few of those big ones. You talked about that seven-year first-round picks. To me, that buyout market, that's a major one because that's usually what's happening is that these teams that are spending these you know extra dollars on the payroll – they're the ones contending for championships. And you have those type of players then trying to go, you know, sign in the, the buyout market like a Goran Dragic with the Bucks. Uh, you know, where you talk about Russell Westbrook here with the Clippers. I mean, those type of players, they wouldn't be able to choose those rosters. So it's it's a big deal that, um, you know, a little wrinkle here in, in this new, uh, you know, salary cap apron. So we'll have to see how this plays out um, as we roll into next year. You know, where are these you know, maybe there's not as many buyouts. Maybe players don't want to discuss a buyout. They want the full contract if they can't go where they want to go. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's gonna make it's gonna definitely make things uh, a change next year. The buyout market always has at least four or five guys that, like you said, usually go to the top contenders. So, uh, gonna be a lot of teams that uh, maybe pick up a guy that they weren't expecting to be able to get. Yep, absolutely. Um, the one other adjustment that really caught my eye here with the new CBA is regarding the restricted free agency. Um, you know, the big thing here is that they're going to be increasing the qualifying offers for the players by 10%. So that's a big boost for the players because a lot of the time the offers that they're getting in the open market are much higher than these qualifying offers. And I'll go through an example here um, just in a second. But one of the other adjustments to restricted free agency, they're shrinking the window that the teams have to match the offer. So currently teams have, once a player uh, signs an offer sheet, 
they have 48 hours to uh, match that offer. They're shrinking that to one day, 24 hours. So it's going to be much quicker uh, decision by the teams and the franchises. And this might actually make more teams go after restricted free agents because a lot of the time they know they have to put that money out and that money's tied up and they can't go after anyone else because this other team has two days to essentially lag to either match that offer. So I think we're going to see more teams more aggressively approaching and going after restricted free agents. But just to give an example here, as far as why this is kind of a big deal and adjustment, let's just go and look at DeAndre Ayton this last year. His qualifying offer from the Suns was $16.4 million. If he had an increase of that 10%, that would have been an $18.1 million contract, guaranteed, if he didn't sign anywhere. Because his offer that he got from the Pacers, that was a four-year $133 million deal. So over $33 million annual average for him. So that 18 to 33, that's still a huge gap. So increasing this qualifying offer makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I agree. And I love the shrinking the window down uh, for matching because exactly like you said, people get away with, you know, lowballing their restricted free agents because- People don't want to go after them because it's kind of protocol in free agency for the team that's matching. They use up the entire clock most of the time. Now, DeAndre Ayton actually basically got immediately matched, which was good by the Suns. But um, in general, people take up that whole time. And the point of that is to screw over the other team for going after their player. So... Exactly like you said, things move really fast in free agency. So if if you had your money tied up on one guy for two days, you might have missed out on your next 10 guys you were going after. So this one day, I love that change. Me too. It's going to speed things up. Um, I think it's going to be really, really good for the competitiveness of free agents. They're going to have lots of offers out there. Um, And hopefully teams, you know, they don't dilly-dally. Like you said, they don't drag their feet. They're going to know right away whether they're going to match or not or just cut ties and say we're not going to match. And, um, you know, teams can move on their way. So I think that alone, shrinking it from two days to one day, we're going to see a lot more aggression after restricted free agents than we have ever seen in the past. Yeah, and it's always some really interesting prospects, too, in the restricted. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, but those are the few highlights for me. A few of the you know major changes here that we're going to see. I think everything that they signed up for is good here for the players, for the league as a whole, especially. Completely agree. Big news. Big news for the NBA. Uh, unexpected news, but great to hear that seven years uh, extension. So we love that. And let's let's keep moving on this court report here. Uh, I had a bunch of uh, shout outs and top performers this week. Uh, wanted to start with the players of the week for the last two weeks. Um, the, the previous week, shortly after our last podcast, was Brandon Ingram and Jalen Brown, which was just cool because they were drafted back to back in the 2016 draft. So good to see those guys kind of working out for their teams. Uh, but announced on Monday was this past week's players of the week. And that was Anthony Davis and Mikhail Bridges. And I, I wanted to talk about Anthony Davis on this podcast anyway, so this was <laughs> great for me. But um, in Davis's last 10 games, Wes, he's been going off, man. He's scored 35 or more five of his last 10 games. 
and he's shooting 60.8% over that stretch. He's also, as I've always said, maybe maybe the most impactful defender in the league. He's had two blocks in each of his last four games. So Davis is helping to carry the Lakers right now. He really has been carrying the Lakers. You talked about his last 10 games going 29 points, 12 boards. He's been dominant. And this is the Anthony Davis we hope to see at all times. But these last couple of years in his career, it seems like we get this version of him, you know, for half a season, once every three years is what it seems like. So uh, it's few and far between. I know that's not what Lakers fans want to hear. But when you see this version of Anthony Davis, this dominant, you understand why he was so coveted in the draft, why he was so coveted as a free agent. Because he's a game changer on both sides of the court. He already talked about the defensive presence, but then to go along with 30 points and 12 boards, those are massive numbers. Huge reason the Lakers have been skyrocketing up the, you know, up the standings here in the Western Conference. Yeah, Anthony Davis, he's been amazing. You know, he he was never gonna get to the all NBA threshold. Uh, just because of games played, but he would definitely be one of those guys uh, cut from contention from the earlier earlier CBA rule we talked about. But for Mikhail Bridges, man, the Nets did as well as they could have done on that Kevin Durant trade. Bridges has scored 20 or more points in 20 of his 24 games as a net. This is a guy that was averaging you know mid-teens for the Suns. He's just been a completely different player for the Nets. Uh, as a whole on the Nets, averaging 27 points, nearly five rebounds, nearly three assists, playing just great ball. And in 10 of the 20 that he scored 20 or more, he was actually over 30 or more, and including three of the games in the 40s. So he's just been a completely revamped player. Uh, I love what I'm seeing out of Bridges. Yeah, Brooklyn Bridges has been a whole different player, much much better of a player than I ever thought he could be. You know, I didn't realize that he was in such a pigeonhole, you might say, with the Phoenix Suns and his role on that team. But he has really blossomed um, into much more than just a 3 and D type player. I mean, he's he could have been a, an all-star here in the Eastern Conference with those type of numbers that he's been putting up. And, you know, when this trade went down, I'm assuming you as well thought the Nets were going to just start sinking down the standings. And that has not been the case. Uh, they've been extremely competitive they're still holding on to that sixth seed here in the Eastern Conference, which would guarantee them a playoff spot. I did not see that to be the case after this uh, blow-up session, you know, sending out Kyrie and KD. It's been crazy. And all behind Bridges, like you said, basically all-star numbers. But one of the craziest stats was their new, their newly acquired players of Dinwiddie, Bridges, and uh, Cam Johnson. They've played more games together than the big three of Durant, Kyrie, and Harden did on the Nets in two full seasons almost. So just unreal fall from the previous Nets, but this new new Nets team has at least got some hope for the future. They do, and they still have you know some more draft picks coming their way. Uh, it's going to be just interesting to see what they try and do, You know who their pieces that they choose to build around, uh, Bridges and probably Nick Claxton are their two main uh, core pieces here moving forward. Yeah, there's one thing that we saw a lot from last night's game and their loss to the Timberwolves. A little too much Spencer Dinwiddie happening for these Nets. Yeah, they don't have quite that go-to player. Uh, the ball was in Dinwiddie's hands 
probably way too much. A lot of between the legs dribbling going on here late in the game. Uh, so if they can find themselves, you know, perhaps a better uh, shooting guard to bolster that roster, you know, they have some assets to move. They got a lot of uh, other shooting guards with uh, Joe Harris and um, Seth Curry. So that's it, possible that they can make another deal and, um, you know, bring in some more players to to better sculpt this roster. Yeah, and like you said, they are holding on for dear life in that sixth seed uh, game up on the Heat. So they're hoping to avoid that play-in, but that reward would be getting beaten the, beaten down by the by the Sixers. So uh, looking forward to next year probably for the Nets. But n- another shout-out I wanted to make, a quick one, Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray has set the record for most made threes by a rookie of all time, passing uh, Donovan Mitchell. He, he's at about 12 points, nearly five rebounds a game on the season. But the key is he's shooting 41.6% on over six three-point attempts per game. So this guy is just raining out there. Uh, he, he has 6.3 three-point attempts per game, 3.5 two-point attempts. So he's living behind the arc, uh, and he's had 201 made threes so far this year. He's been amazing for the Kings. Um, He looked great right from the jump in Summer League, and he's just continued that this whole entire season. He's as steady Eddie as you can be as a rookie. Um, They already are kind of comparing him a little bit to Harrison Barnes as far as how calm and his demeanor is off the court, uh, that he's just nothing is phasing him whatsoever. Uh, The Kings, you know, looked like they were missing out on, you know, some of the other big prospects. They got exactly what they needed for this roster. He's a perfect piece to put next to Harrison Barnes, who they're both kind of playing a 3.5, you know, that small forward, power forward combo set. Uh, And then just to have that space that we've talked about here to allow the dynamic duo of Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox to really just devastate all the other rosters here throughout the association. It's been awesome to see, man. They are a super fun team to watch and just always have shooters in the lineup, uh, partially behind Murray's uh, big-time shooting. So uh, love to see that for him. Another one, last night Embiid may have just locked up the MVP. Uh, He put up 52 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists against the Celtics on national TV uh, as they beat the Celtics 103 to 101. Um, so he had over half of their points. And most importantly, the 52 was behind 20 of 25 shooting, 80%, uh, along with 12 of 13 free throws. So MB doing it all. What a performance. Well, like you you just mentioned there at the end, 20 of 25 shooting, that's just absurd. And that's not against, you know, a scrub squad. That's against one of the top teams in the NBA in the Boston Celtics. So he was just uh, dominant. And I would agree with you. I think with that type of performance, scoring over half of their points, 52 of their 103 points for the 76ers last night, you got to give the man the MVP uh, I don't know what else to say, what other type of performance he can do to sway votes, but that's about as big of a, a blow of wind in his favor as you could see on one of the last final games. Well, it's crazy because uh, during the game, it was coinciding with the Nuggets who just gave one away against the Rockets. And so midway through the game, I bet Embiid on a small bet live for MVP. Those odds were minus 250. Today, 
They're minus 900 on DraftKings. Good, good job, sir. You're going to make yourself some extra bucks for being aggressive there in the betting lines. But um, if we're talking about 50-point games, I got to shout out Drew Holiday. Um, he dropped a career-high 51 points versus the Indiana uh, Pacers here uh, last Wednesday. 51 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists, 20 of 30 from the field. He dropped these 51 points in 32 minutes. So he was getting buckets in this game. Dude, this was this was one of the craziest box scores of the year. The Bucks topped the Pacers 149 to 136. So huge high scoring game. But like you said, Drew in just 32 minutes, the 51 career high, uh, eight rebounds, eight assists. But then in the same game, Giannis in his 32 minutes. Puts up 38 points, 17 rebounds, 12 assists, and that's off 14 of 18 from the floor. So both of these guys putting up just monster games in limited minutes. Uh, huge win for the Bucks in that one. Yeah, big time close out there for the Bucks, taking care of business like they should. Um, but like you said, both those guys are just going off right now. The Bucks look as good as any team in the league. Uh, they're not letting the foot off the gas, and they just keep competing every night, which is really what has made them, you know, very entertaining to watch. Um, one other guy I need to shout out. You have a few others, but wait, one real o- quick on that last game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so since since joining the Bucks. Drew Holiday actually has a higher on-off differential than Giannis does for Whoa. the Bucks, just showing how important he is to this team. And I think this is his career year. And so kind of going back to our conversation about the 18, 19-year-olds coming into the NBA, this can a, a guy like Drew is showing why it's so important to have these vets, you know, with a long runway because he's past 30 and he's having the year of his life. Uh, amazing performance by Drew, not only in this game, but for the season. Uh, and just one thing from the other side of that game, uh, Andrew Nemhard had 15 points, 15 assists in Ooh. just 27 minutes in that same game. So not a whole lot of defense being played in that one, but uh, <laughs> super fun game anyway. Yeah, if you're put, uh, watching a game 149-136, nobody's playing defense. Everybody's scoring <laughs> in that matchup. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the guys I at least want to shout out, and it's one of the people that you had mentioned in your under-the-radar players to watch this season, that's P.J. Washington. Uh, he had one yeah. of the better games of his career in a game, you know, versus the Thunder, which was a really bad loss here for the Thunder uh, you know, the Hornets beat him 137-134, you know, largely behind P.J. Washington, who dropped 43 points in this game uh, to go along with six boards and five assists. But the real nice part was he was hitting his three, five of nine from beyond the arc. So it was really nice to see P.J. Washington have one of those electric nights, um, you know, not really a guy that you would envision going up for over 40 points in a in a basketball game. Yeah, I love to see it. He also had a game or two before that had a big 30-something point outing as well. So he's been putting up some nice numbers. You know, I know it's late in the season for a non, 
non-competing team. So we'll see kind of how important it really is. But this is at least going to earn him uh, another contract. And um, hopefully he can find a roster, whether it's these Hornets, if they can get revamped, or another team that he can maybe get a little bit more shine on. But definitely like to see him put up those big-time scoring numbers. Yep, absolutely. And if we're throwing out some more shout-outs here, you know, towards the end of the season, one of the other guys I got a shout-out, Fred Van Vliet. He had a massive game on Sunday uh, versus the Hornets as well. Um, you know, he had a 20-20 game, 20 points, 20 assists, only two turnovers in this game. So he was magical with the basketball in his hands. Um, you know, quick little stat here in Fred Van Vliet. He now holds the franchise records uh, for single game assists with those 20, as well as single game scoring record for the uh, you know, Toronto Raptors dropping 54 points. So he holds 54 point record for scoring 20 assist record for scoring for the Raptors. Does this make Fred Van Vliet the best Raptor of all time? <laughs> That's uh, those are some big shoes to fill. I, I think, um, you know, I think it's going to be the Kyle Lowry spot for, to, to take right now. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, of course, had some big time years, but I think Kyle Lowry is, at least over the last 10 years or so, who you think of as, you know, Mr. Raptor? You know, it's probably true over the last 10 years. I would think for the franchise, the most iconic player, you probably have to, you know, throw in Vince Carter just for all the highlights and the jams um, early on in the Raptors franchise. But, um, you know, I thought it was interesting. Fred Van Vliet deserves a shout out. Yeah, that's surprising, both scoring and assists, especially the scoring. You wouldn't really think of him uh, as the leader. So that's that's pretty big time. He's going to maybe maybe he can get his jersey retired someday up there. Um, <laughs> but uh, another guy putting out just monster scoring numbers, Donovan Mitchell has scored 40 or more in four straight games. He's the only he's only the fourth player in the last 25 years to do that. So he put up 44 against the Hawks, 42 versus the Knicks, 40 versus the Pacers, and 43 versus the Magic. So perhaps not the toughest of schedules, but still super consistent, but consistently great. He has been consistently great. And that 42 points he put up versus the New York Knicks, that was my epic event here of the week. Uh, Knicks and Cavs, you know, not only did Donovan Mitchell drop 42 points, Jalen Brunson had a hell of a game, goes 48 points, nine assists, uh, hits seven threes in this game in a New York Knicks squad that was missing Julius Randle. They are able to take home a victory here in Cleveland, 131-16. This is going to be the first round matchup uh, almost guaranteed here in the Eastern Conference for that 4-5. And you start looking at the season head-to-head matchups. The Knicks are three and one versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, you know, I had mentioned that it would likely be a very difficult, you know, head to head battle here. And I'd probably pick the Cavaliers. But after seeing a three and one victory here for the Knicks, maybe this goes seven games. This is probably, in my opinion, the only first round matchup in the Eastern Conference that's going to have any sort of juice. Yeah, and actually it has clinched. So that will be the the first round series uh, guaranteed. Um, 
It's going to be interesting, man. And and like we talked about last time, it's the kind of the Mitchell sweepstakes a little bit with the Knicks almost getting him uh, before the Cavs did. So lots of good matchups. I hope Randall can come back. Um, I'll kind of spoil that from the injury portion of the, the podcast, but he's supposed to be reevaluated in about a week. So potentially he could get there right around the start of the series, maybe game one. Um, that would be a really interesting addition, but big time win for the Knicks to take out the Cavs without him, especially with that performance by uh, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, and like I said, this is going to be an, a really, really entertaining series in my eyes. we got great players on both sides of the court. You know, these are two of um, the more competitive teams as far as effort given on both sides of the floor. You know, the Knicks have really increased their odds with the trades they made here at the trade deadline. I feel like they really added some great pieces to their core. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, I don't really... Not too interested in um, the first round matchup for the Celtics or the Bucks or the 76ers, but this Knicks and Cavs battle, I think this is going to be great basketball to watch. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I, I really want to see uh, Mobley in a playoff series, Garland, uh, but you're right. The Knicks, all of their moves that they've made pretty much over this last year have been hit. So um, looking forward to seeing that one uh, as it is the guaranteed first round. So pretty exciting stuff there. Um, my only, my last player shout out, and this was it for me, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, your boy dropped, <laughs> dropped 41 points against the Spurs, which again, against the Spurs, but 15 of 25 shooting six made threes. And Horton Tucker has scored 23 or more in his last four games. Yeah, uh, so he had that 41, but he also had a 28.8 rebound, seven assist game against the Celtics. So really surprising numbers from him. He's been getting full run here of late, you know, watching a few jazz games, tuning in here. He's on the court a lot, getting lots of minutes. He's got the ball in his hands. Um, I really feel like the jazz are trying to evaluate what they have in Taylor Horton Tucker. You know, is he more going to be a bench player, a seventh, eighth man, or is he, you know, worthy of a starting spot on this team uh, moving forward? So you really feel that the jazz are trying to evaluate their roster um, late here in the season. Taylor Horton Tucker, THT. He's making a name for himself. Absolutely. So uh, as we move forward in the court report to the injuries, uh, someone not making a good name for themselves, Ben Simmons has a nerve impingement in his back. He is done for the season. I mean, he's been done for the season since the season started, it feels like. Just uninterested in playing basketball essentially the last two years. Um, you, you thought that he had a great opportunity to shine at the beginning of the year with the Brooklyn Nets, you know, being surrounded by some superstars in Kyrie and KD. But even that wasn't enough to lift his spirits to get him on the court. I don't know how much I believe this is a real injury versus this is more of a mental uh, issue that is still continuing with Ben Simmons. Um I really don't know. I'm not sure where, where your love lies any longer uh, with Ben Simmons, but I don't even know what to expect for the rest of his career. Like once this contract runs out, is anyone even going to give him an opportunity to continue to play in the pros? Um, yeah, for me, all love lost. Uh, I, he did used to be one of my favorite players, um, but 
you said it at the top there. This guy just doesn't seem to love basketball. And as a fan and somebody that follows it closely, it's almost almost offensive, uh, you know, to us as fans watching him. And especially with his max contract that he's on, where you you said it, no, maybe nobody's going to pick him up. And that's coming off of a max contract. So really just embarrassing for him. I kind of agree with you. Uh, I'm not sure if I believe the injury or not, but definitely wasn't a surprise uh, regardless. But but that is official at this point. Um, some returns. The good news of, of the report, Kevin Durant's back, LeBron's back, and your boy Andrew Wiggins is expected back this week. So some big names get, getting back in the lineup. Yeah, all those in the Western Conference, talking about small forwards there in the Western Conference, all coming back. Uh, you know, LeBron James looks healthy. He's been helping his squad get some W's here. Uh, you know, the Suns with Kevin Durant, I believe they're 7-0. and They have not lost a game that Kevin Durant has played, so that's a good sign for the short amount of, um, you know, vision that we've seen here in Phoenix. They got to be feeling good to at least get him, you know, in a, a rhythm as they, you know, enter the playoff stretch. Um, but we'll see with Andrew Wiggins. I mean, this is a big, a big addition for the Warriors. Um, he's arguably their best perimeter defender. You know, we saw what he could do last year, locking up and doing his best against, you know, players such as uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Luka Doncic. If you're going to go through the Western Conference against players like Durant, like Booker, uh, like LeBron, you need someone like Andrew Wiggins. So this gives us Warriors fans a little bit of hope. Yeah, Warriors absolutely need him back. So great, great news and great timing uh, as they are sitting in, in the five seed right now. But another team that the Warriors are competing against for that you know playoff spot, the Timberwolves, maybe the biggest hit of the week, Nas Reed, your boy, has a broken wrist. He's out for the season. He actually had the second highest percentage of bench points scored uh, in the league. He was a uh, 37% of the team's bench points. Cole Anthony being your leader in that stat, but really a bummer for Nas Reed. That's a huge bummer for Nas Reed because he is going to be entering free agency as um, this year concludes. Uh, I don't know if that will really hinder his uh, interest from other teams because he he put it out on the floor this year. Um, he showed a lot of growth, his ability to stretch the court from beyond the arc, um, to take players off the dribble, you know, really attack those closeouts. Uh, he, he's going to be highly coveted as, you know, probably um, a sixth man, seventh man for a lot of teams. So. It's a big loss for the Timberwolves. Um, this is someone that they counted on for the whole season, essentially, with uh, you know Car Anthony Towns missing 60-plus games. They would have loved to have him here as they would have um, you know, been probably a really competitive matchups in the playing tournament. So they're going to miss him. Yeah, it sucks because it's right when Towns came back, too. So it was like, okay, we're going to have this great three-man big man rotation, uh, but immediately that was taken away from them. Yeah, and he would have been able, like you talked about, slide next to either or. Uh, you could have put him next to Carlton Towns or Gobert, so it would have been a really great you know, three-man rotation that they could have had, um, and it likely won't ever occur because uh, my assumption is that he's going to leave in free agency and cash in those checks. Wouldn't be surprised. So, so, so I mentioned uh, he was the second highest uh, percentage 
bench scorer in the league behind Cole Anthony. Who are three through five? Pop quiz. Oh my God. Um, wow, that's tough. I'm gonna. I'm kind of blanking out here for a second. So uh, a hint is these are um, pretty pretty guessable people. These guys are in the in the you know in that six man conversation for the most part. So I, I'm not sure if Jordan Poole, if he um, qualifies. I don't for think a... he qualifies on this okay. one. So he probably wouldn't qualify. Um, you might have to throw in um, Tyler Hero doesn't qualify either anymore. I don't know, man. You're stumping me out here. <laughs> so it's uh, Malik Monk, Ooh. M- Malcolm Brogdon, and this is the only kind of surprising one, Bruce Brown. Wow. Yeah, Bruce Brown is a surprise, especially, um, you know, he's not really known for his scoring and, um, you know, how how much the Nuggets use their bench. But you got me. I wasn't ready for that pop quiz. <laughs> so, so yeah, but I, that's pretty much it for the injuries. Uh, D'Angelo Russell for the Lakers has missed the last few games, but he's playing tonight against the Clippers. So uh, not the worst injury report, but definitely a bummer, especially for the Timberwolves. Yeah, they're the ones probably suffering the most because he was a key cog to their team and their success while uh, Carl Towns was gone. They would have loved to have him for this final stretch, but we like to see you know as many players healthy as possible because um, we're getting down to the nitty gritty. You know, we're last three, four games as you mentioned last week of the season, and then we're hitting the playoffs hard right away. Yeah, man. So let's get into the West playoff uh, scenarios now that we are, are through that core report, because this is the meat of the podcast that we wanted to get to the playoff race in the West. So despite the Nuggets just limping to the finish line, it does look like they're going to hold on to that one seed. Uh, they are two games up with three to play on the Grizzlies and the Grizzlies have their own two-game lead on the Kings. So that should be your your one through three. Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings at the top of the West. Well, I think we need to shout out the Kings here because last night they clinched the Pacific Division title. And if you look at that Pacific Division, you're talking about the Golden State Warriors, the Phoenix Suns, the LA Clippers, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Three of those four teams are title contender teams. And the Kings, the Kings of Sacramento, they won that division. So major props to Sacramento for clinching that Pacific division because that's arguably the best division in the Western Conference. Completely agree. I mean, it's an amazing achievement for them. 17 games above 500. Um, The best season they've had in, in many, many years. We know that they had the longest playoff drought in professional sports. So... I saw um, their announcer, uh, drawing a blank on her name, but along with Mark Jones, they were they were talking after the game when the Kings clinched, and she started getting emotional because she had been with the franchise for years, and and so the, them them making the playoffs is just a huge achievement for a team that was just starving for success. Yeah, and it you know they had new ownership take over. I want to say four or five years ago, and it was a rough, a rough start here for that new ownership group. That looks like they were going to start making some proper decisions. You know, Vladi Divac didn't really help those proper decisions. You know, they over, <laughs> uh, overlooked uh, Luka Doncic. Uh, they had the potential to add him to the squad, so that was a bit of a sour taste. But 
all roses right now up here in Sacramento. You know, they're feeling good. You know, a lot of teams are trying to earmark to face the Sacramento Kings in the playoffs. But to be honest, I don't know if you want to see the Kings in the playoffs. This is one of the best, the best offenses that we've seen in a very long time. I'm not quite sure how you're going to stop them with that pick and roll combo of Sabonis and Fox. And then you talk about, you know, you mentioned Keegan Murray and Malik Monk here. You know, you got to look at their options. They got tons of playmakers. Uh, Kevin Herter has been balling here of late as well. So they got a lot of pieces. I completely agree. I think people are way overestimating this, you know, Kings are the weak link uh, in the West situation. The Kings have the best road record in the West. It's actually even better than their home record, both of which are positive, though. Um, it's the only team that can say that in the entire Western Conference. So they're tough to beat. Their offense is ridiculous. So I, I actually think they should really be favorites no matter who they're playing from that um, potentially Warriors, Clippers, Lakers, Pelicans group. I, I think they should be favorites no matter who they're playing. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you that, you know, there should be favorites from how well they've been playing. But, you know, there's still that um, lack of trust just because we haven't yeah. seen them in the yeah. playoffs for a decade and a half. But, um, you know, that's not a team that I would feel comfortable facing because, you know, they're about as healthy as they can be. You know, Sabonis is still having you know a little bit of thumb concerns, but everyone else on the roster is healthy and ready to play. They have a fantastic coach in Mike Brown. So they're going to be a tough out. I completely agree. And and your point about their health, that's key here. So if they, if they have uh, three games left, if they win two and they win exactly 50 games, for instance, next year, if their over-under is like 48 or something, you got to take the under because they have been so healthy this season. That's been the key a catalyst for them. Usually it doesn't happen two years in a row. No, it's it's really tough to do, and especially if they go deep into the playoffs, that can just wear on you. Um, so we're going to have to see. Yeah, that could be an interesting bet to keep an eye on for next year. You know, I would probably see it more as a uh, 44 and a half, give or take. I think that'd be a good odds makers bet for uh, over under win total for the Kings next year. Yeah, they're probably going to put it lower uh, for sure. But as we keep going, the Suns also appear to pretty much be solid in their spot at the four seed. Um, after losing three straight to the Thunder, Lakers, and Kings, which were really worrisome losses last week, they've now won six straight, six straight wins, which is the longest streak in the NBA. Those wins were over the Sixers, Jazz, Timberwolves, Nuggets, Thunder, and Spurs. So a lot of teams they really needed to beat as well. Um, fun game tomorrow. They play the Nuggets. Uh, that's Thursday. Um, but as you talked about, KD has not lost in uniform. He's played the last four of this six game winning streak. And in that win over the Thunder, he put up a 35.5 rebound, five assist. Beautiful game. Uh, they are rolling right now. They are rolling and they love to have their roster back healthy. Um, <sighs> You don't want to see any of these teams, obviously, in the Western Conference. I mean, you know, all the teams are fighting for a guaranteed playoff spot, but you would like to think that everyone is trying to avoid that number five seed because they do not want to see the Phoenix Suns in the first round. Uh, you're talking about some very elite 
players on the court for the Suns with um, the combo of Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. It's just how do you match up against those two guys? How do you slow both of them down? Um, It's going to be a tough decision for the opposing coaches because if the Suns are healthy, they have one of the best starting fives in the league. If not the best. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, no one wants to play them. No one wants to be the five seed. Currently, your Warriors are that five seed. They've been mostly sixth seed over the last two weeks, uh, seventh being their lowest. But a big win over the Thunder last night vaulted them up to five. Wes, they've won six of their last eight. So they're playing great. They're only their two losses in that stretch were a close loss against the Timberwolves and a close loss against the Nuggets. Uh, this was a really important stretch for them because they beat Mavericks, Pelicans, Thunder. Those teams are all right there in that mix, all big wins, especially last night. Yeah, the win last night versus the Thunder was um, a huge win for the Warriors to be able to maintain a potential playoff lock. Um, you know, there's a even larger game tonight with the Clippers and Lakers. Winner of that game will vault the Warriors to the number five seed because of tiebreakers. So the Warriors will be in sixth uh, no matter what after tonight's games. But those two losses you mentioned to the Nuggets and to the Timberwolves, those were brutal losses because they had control of those games in the fourth quarter and they just let go of the rope. Uh, It's very disappointing to see. And it's kind of been the trend all season long. Uh, They can't close out late in the games. The hope is, as we talked about with them getting Wiggins back, adding some size, some much needed size, and just some more depth um, to this rotation. We're hoping that once the playoff lights turn on, we will see the Warriors that we have, you know, become accustomed to seeing over this last decade and a half. Yeah, I mean, you said it. They, They have had troubles closing games, but last night, down 10 at half to the Thunder, they take over in the second half, especially the fourth, where they won 34 to 19. They win that game by 11 after trailing by 10 and a half. Really a great win. I thought the Thunder played pretty bad in the second half, but Warriors simultaneously played really well. So a uh, really nice game last night. Fun one to watch. Um, they are now a full four games up on the Thunder. Uh, so Thunder have really been kind of falling apart, but you said it, that half game up on the Clippers and Lakers before their matchup tonight. So this, these three are just right there together. It's so tight, too close to call. It's way too close to call because there's only, uh, you know, a few games remaining for each of these teams, essentially after, you know, tonight's Wednesday's battle, each of those squads are going to have two games remaining, um, you know, with every single team playing on Sunday. So if you're looking for something to do on Sunday afternoon, Games start bright and early, all day long. It's going to be um, what you should be doing on Sunday uh, if you don't have anything more important to do. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be dynamic. I mean, like you said, a lot of them are playing concurrently. They do that so that teams can't, like, get a strategy advantage by seeing the result of the earlier games. So it's going to be really fun. Uh, A lot of action all at the same time. Definitely tune in on Sunday. Um... But as we continue on here with the Clippers in sixth, like I said, one of those two, the the Clippers or Lakers, will pass the Warriors tonight with a win. But 
right now the Clippers are in sixth because they own the tiebreaker over the Lakers. The bad news is they've lost their last two games. They uh they beat the Bulls and the Grizzlies, but then lost to the Grizzlies in the rematch, and then it lost to the Pelicans, which was a really tough loss, you know, when this tight playoffs going on. That's their second loss to the Pelicans in just their last five games. Yeah, that's not very good because um, we're talking the home stretch here. So all of these teams in the Western Conference that we've been talking about here of late, it's been playoff atmosphere basketball. The intensity has been ratcheted up. Every squad knows how important each game is on the schedule as the season closes out because it can be the difference from, you know, with these few teams, a guaranteed playoff lock to, you know, potentially a number nine or 10 seed to where you have to win two games to guarantee a playoff berth. So nothing is easy. Each team should be, you know, very aware of how important each matchup is, um, you know, this last week of the of the season. Yeah, and they're uh, five and five in their last 10, which is actually the worst of the top eight teams in the West. And some have kind of accused them of trying to dodge the Suns for that five seed, as you kind of hinted at earlier. People have kind of been wondering if that's what they're doing, but it's such a fine dance with how close five seed is to seven seed, which would put you in the play-in. It's only a half game difference. So I don't think you can really mess around with that if you don't want to, you know, find yourself fighting for your life in single elimination. Yeah, it's too close to call right now to be uh, picking and choosing your battles. You got to be ready to go each and every night. Uh, You know, this Clippers Lakers game tonight is going to be must watch. I'll definitely be tuning in once our pod ends here and, you know, see what, uh, you know, what comes of it. But, you know, if we start even diving down deeper, we jump to the other LA squad, the Lakers. They've been playing great basketball here of late uh seven and three in their last 10 you know we already talked about they got lebron james back um some of their new additions you know jared vandervelt he's been playing really well um you know the guy we shouted out on the last podcast austin reeves he's moved into that starting lineup and he's been spectacular for them and just continues to play very very solid basketball uh real quick on vanderbilt before i get to reeves the Lakers announcers call him the Vandalorian. How do you feel? I heard that last night. Um, it's unique. Uh, I'm hoping for Jared's sake that he is a Star Wars fan and he gives uh, the AOK on that nickname because it's um, not for everybody. <laughs> I actually kind of like it, but I also have not watched the show. I need to. I want to, uh, but I just haven't gotten to it. But the Vandalorian, they, I mean, maybe they shouldn't say it every time, but uh, it, it's still pretty good. But you mentioned Austin Reeves, man. I, I had a specific section for him on this, uh, on my notes here, because I think Austin Reeves needs to be in the most improved player discussion. He is just legitimately good now. He is scoring five and a half more points per game and nearly double the assists from last year. Uh, 3.3 assists this year to 1.8 last year. But he's shooting over 52%, over 39% from three, 86 and a half free throw. And then if we just go his last 10 games, he's over 20 points a game, four rebounds, over six assists. I mean, this guy is playing excellent basketball out of almost nowhere i think that people should be talking about him more uh, in that most improved 
I don't disagree with you. I mean, you start looking at those stats. Uh, those are some gaudy numbers to close out the season. Uh, you know, the Lakers made the trade to bring in Malik Beasley, and I think we all assumed that Beasley would slide right in to that starting shooting guard spot to, you know, help with the spacing on the court. But Austin Reeves has played too good of basketball to deny. And uh, Coach Ham has inserted him into the lineup, and Reeves has not let him down. You know, we talked about here just those gaudy numbers here of late to really bolster the team in LeBron's absence. If he continues on the trend, um, there's good things in his future. You know, we already talked about maybe a massive contract, and he's already got his own signature shoe coming out to Austin Rivers. So um, people are noticing his value on and off the court. Yeah, the signature shoe was a shocker, uh, but good for him to get that. Um, but yeah, man, he's helped lead the Lakers. You mentioned they're seven and three in their last 10, but they've actually won seven of eight, including four straight wins. Uh, huge, huge run. They're actually the second biggest climbers uh, in the West since our last podcast. They were a 10 seed on March 23rd. They've now climbed to seventh, perhaps even fifth at the end of the the night tonight so huge huge run um we got to talk about last night's game against the jazz man because they win 135 to 133 in overtime but this was absurd that they were even in overtime the lakers had a 10 point lead with one minute 43 seconds left jazz go on a 10-0 run in less than a minute and a half they go to overtime it was just absolutely bonkers. The the 10-0 run included a Kelly Olynyk pull-up in transition three from about 35 feet, and he banks it in. Just absolutely bonkers game. But the Lakers do pull it out in the end. LeBron, huge night. Yeah, LeBron had a huge night, but your boy Kelly Olynyk would just not allow the Utah Jazz to get KO'd. Uh, easily in this matchup. It, they just kept fighting. You know, Taylor Horton Tucker was playing well. Uh, Baji was was balling out here for the Jazz. Um, you know, they were competing even without Walker Kessler, who didn't, you know, play in this game. The Jazz have been much more competitive than any of us thought this season. So uh, we need to give head coach Will Hardy a big shout out because um, even though he's not going to win coach of the year, he should at least get some maybe fifth place votes because this Jazz team probably doubled up on the amount of victories that they should have had. Yeah, I bet he's going to be a finalist. He's going to be right there north, towards the top. Uh, and I, he's the youngest coach in the NBA, I believe. So who knows? He might have that job for a long, long time. Uh, but crazy, crazy game last night. The Lakers announcers were not happy uh, in overtime. Uh, I think Michael Thompson said, Longest game ever, uh, as as another foul happened in overtime. So really funny to see their, you know, struggles. But, man, it was still a, actually a really important game in the end. So big-time win. Yeah, big-time win because it was still an important game for the Jazz as well. You know, this probably eliminated their opportunity, um, you know, not mathematically, but in spirits to make a final play and push. Uh, but this was extremely important for the Lakers, especially heading into the battle tonight uh, versus the Clippers to give them opportunity to, you know, avoid this play in tournament. But the Lakers, this is not a team that you want to see, you know, coming into the playoffs. Um, I'm hoping that they make 
you know, the final push and make it to the playoffs because there's nothing better than watching LeBron in the playoffs. He ratchets it, you know, ratchets up his intensity and his level of play to just an elite, nearly unmatched um, atmosphere. And, and, you know, it's, it's must watch basketball when LeBron's in the playoffs. Yeah. I'm glad they made this push. Um, and I should amend my previous statement about the Kings. I think of the Kings, face off against the Lakers, the Lakers will at least be betting favorites. Um, you mentioned LeBron, who always is amazing in the playoffs, but Anthony Davis being this healthy right now, um, it's not the team you want to face at all. It's definitely not. Sabonis has zero chance of stopping <laughs> Anthony Davis. Um, that would be probably the one team, as, as you mentioned, the Kings do not want to see just for pure matchup reasons. Yeah, and and... Really, as we move on to eighth, the Pelicans, they're probably the team that everyone does want to face. Uh, the weakest um, in the top eight, you know, maybe they're better than the people behind them, the Timberwolves and Thunder potentially. But uh, sitting in eighth, I think the Nuggets would love to get a chance at facing the Pelicans, for instance. But you got to shout out the Pelicans because they have been the biggest risers in the West. Uh, on March 23rd, they were the 12th seed. They were completely out of it, not even in the play-in. Now they are basically a guarantee to be in the play-in and may even get farther than that, um, getting a home game if they lose the first one. So uh, they are looking really good to make the playoffs. And it's been mostly against an easy schedule lately, but they have gotten wins over the Clippers twice, as I mentioned earlier. They beat out the Nuggets when the Nuggets kind of sat their whole team. Um, and sitting just a half game back of the Lakers and or a game, a game back of the Lakers and a half game ahead of the Timberwolves. The Pelicans are in good shape right now. They're sitting comfortably in this playing tournament. Um, you know, the big question for them is, is Zion going to return this season? Is there an opportunity or, you know, a, a chance that he might return to the roster, you know, especially if the Pelicans can lock in a guaranteed playoff spot with a, you know, a, a likely play in tournament victory, if that's the case and they get Zion back, they're a lot more dangerous than they are right now. So you talked about the Nuggets hoping, you know, probably licking their chops to see the Pelicans. If Zion's out there, that might not be the case. And it might be a much more interesting series uh, than what it would look like currently. What do you what are the chances you think he gets on the court again? Oof. For his sake, I hope he does. For the NBA's sake, I hope he does. But if I'm betting if he's going to return, I'm betting no. I would agree. I, I don't think we will see him. But they have had some rumors about him ramping up. Um, one thing that's kind of flew under the radar for the Pelicans, Grand Theft Alvarado, he hasn't played since February 27th. So that's definitely a person that had a huge role earlier in the season that's been out of the rotation uh because of injury. Um, but the team's been playing great. Brandon Ingram, especially, has been awesome. Over his last 20 games, Brandon Ingram, star numbers here, 27.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, 6 assists. He's been putting up huge assist numbers. The whole offense is running through him, and he's been performing. Uh, real big shout-out to Ingram. 
Well, he deserves that shout out because that was a huge reason the Pelicans were struggling earlier in the year because he had missed an extreme amount of games, you know, much longer than any of us anticipated. And as you talked about, the offense runs through him when he's out there on the court. He is the the number one option. He is probably the biggest mismatch other than Zion for that team because of his size, his skill set with, you know, the ability to shoot, to create his own shot. Um, And then obviously now he's creating for others. So that type of versatility, that's hard to find. You know, someone 6'10 with a jumper, he's an elite player in this league and still very, very young. Yeah, so real bright future ahead ahead for him. He just continues to get better. The Pelicans down two as we, we record to the Grizzlies in the fourth quarter. They really need that one, make that four uh, point deficit. But we'll see if the Pelicans can find a way to win that one. Uh, the Pelicans sit at eight. Sitting at nine are the Minnesota Timberwolves. They've had some of the best wins and some of the worst losses since our last podcast. And this is a streaky team, Wes. Their last 11 games, three straight losses. Four straight wins, three straight losses, and then they won their last game. So they're all over the place. Um, that last game being that win over the Nets, a really competitive game. But the game before the Nets was one of the worst losses of all time, legitimately. It was a 19-and-a-half-point spread in favor of the Timberwolves against the Blazers. Blazers resting everyone, tanktastic in Portland. But the the Timberwolves lose a game. They were favored by 19.5 points. It's the biggest upset by point spread in the last 30 years. Oof. And yes, this was a horrible loss for the Timberwolves because the Timberwolves were full strength other than Nas Reed, who we've talked about, against the tanktastic Blazers. And um, this is one that they should have won. And if there is any reason to look at this squad and feel uncomfortable about them, it's performances like that to where this should be a guaranteed win. You just got to show up and compete for not even a full game, likely just three quarters, and you would have taken this team out because your talent level is much, much higher than that of their opponent. But this team still has some of the upper echelon talent with Carl Anthony Towns and obviously Anthony Edwards, who's skyrocketing right now with his skill set. So that gives those fans hope that they have the ability to potentially, you know, make the playoffs. And, you know, if we just kind of look at these four teams that are currently in the play-in, that of the Lakers, the Pelicans, Timberwolves, and Thunder, who we haven't yet touched on, what two teams do you want to see and feel most comfortable putting money on to make the final eight? Yeah, I think I think Lakers is for sure. Um, and I think I would probably have the Timberwolves ahead of the Pelicans, despite um, I have even more bad stats to give about them. But uh, I, I like what I've seen out of Towns since he's returned. Um, he's played six games. Uh, averaging about 19 points, eight rebounds, three assists. So he's getting his feel back. Um, he's kind of been right back to that uh, number one, number two option. So he really like is comfortable, you know, playing in his old style already. Um, and also, I like what I've seen out of Gobert lately. I think he's been uh, a lot better than people realize, especially as of late. 
he's playing great defense, still one of the best defensive rebounders in the NBA. And um, he's, you know, they won't give him the ball on seals. They just, just ignore him sealing off guys down low. But uh, I still think that they have the top end talent that it makes them a little bit more, at least interesting than the Pelicans. But the Pelicans are probably a deeper team. I would probably agree with that, with the Pelicans being a deeper team. But I think the Timberwolves could could strike the most fear into the Nuggets if they were the eighth seed. Because you talk about Gobert, who would be guarding two-time MVP Nikola Jokic. And then you talk about Carnathan Towns having a huge size advantage on um, you know Aaron Gordon in that front court. Anthony Edwards is a hell of a player, and he can get hot. So I could see the Timberwolves, you know, even possibly pushing that to a six-game series if that was the case, if the Nuggets-T-Wolves were to match up. But it's just really hard to feel them out with how inconsistent that team has been all season long. Yep. I mean, 5-5 five and five in their last 10, 40-40 and 40 on the season. Uh, they have a negative 0.3 differential. So just everything telling you they're just a very okay team. 21 and 19 at home, 19 and 21 on the road. I mean, they are basically 500 at every uh, way you look at it. But the the thing that that's been crazy that I've been doing my horrible losses tracker this season. The Timberwolves have been in the lead the whole season, <laughs> and I, I counted the Blazers' loss the other day because they weren't as an original team. That would be a horrible loss, but. That one clearly was with that 19 and a half point spread. They've got nine horrible losses now. I mean, the average is probably around five. The second most in the NBA is seven. So if they could just get even to seven, they would be 42 and 38. They'd be sitting in, in the five, six seed. So, I mean, this is all self-inflicted, man. They've, they've let go of so many easy ones that they've cost themselves potentially, depending on how the play-in goes, potentially costing themselves a playoff spot by just losing some easily winnable games. Yeah, they're going to look back at their schedule this year and really regret a few of these wins because you talked about if they were able just to grab two more wins, which was easily attainable in a lot of the games I watched of them this year, they'd be in a whole different uh, comfort level you know, heading into this last week. So we're going to have to see what happens to them. Can they squeak up to that number eight seed and you know at least guarantee themselves two chances to get a victory in this playing tournament? Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to watch, but I, I do like what I've seen out of them lately. Kyle Anderson, quick shout out to him. He's got perhaps the best hands in the league for uh, deflections. He's everywhere on on pass attempts that people just think are easy attempts, especially the guy that he's guarding, and he'll he'll tip the pass, he'll catch the pass. A really impressive defender, Kyle Anderson. Yeah, he's slow-mo on offense, but he's not slow-mo on defense. He's very quick with his hands. Um, he is an underrated defender, and his size at 6'9", uh, really allows the versatility, like you talked about, to guard on the perimeter or down in the paint. Yeah, so uh, Timberwolves sit at nine. Closing out the play-in as the current standings are the Thunder. They're on a three-game losing streak after last night's loss to the Warriors. And it's been a rough stretch, Wes. On the 23rd, uh, I keep saying the 23rd. That was basically the day after our last podcast. Um, They were the eighth seed. 
at that time, but they have been basically the 10th seed ever since just two and six in their last eight games. And now they're four games under 500. So this team is like a bit, a bit of a step down, even from number nine, the Timberwolves right now, two games back. Um, they play the jazz tomorrow should be an interesting one, but after last night's game, watching them up close, uh, I wanted to just get your overall opinion about Shea Gilgis Alexander and where would you rank him in the league and NBA players? He, in my opinion, is a guaranteed top 15 player right now in the NBA. You could almost make a case as maybe a top 10 player. He's right on that cusp. You know, I probably put him somewhere at maybe that 12th spot. Uh, but just watching him yesterday versus the Warriors, he is about as unguardable as as there is right now because the Warriors tried everything on him. You know, they put smaller guys and put the ball pressure. They had Draymond guarding him for portions of the game. And he was able just to get separation on Draymond for that mid-range jumper and then overwhelm the smaller guards. Because don't forget, Shea Gilders Alexander stands at 6'6". So he's a big guard out there. And he just goes to the paint at will. He has the touch around the basket. He's got a a super filthy just mid-range game that he, you know, appears to just um, get space whenever he wants to, to get that jumper off. You know, it's, it's his height that helps him. He's like you said, above average size, basically a, a tall shooting guard size at the point uh, helps him get that mid range shot off. But I agree, man. I, I think it's a lock top 20. And I also uh, was thinking I have him in my top 15 as well. So we're both, you know, right there, super high on Che Gilgis Alexander. What a surge he's had this year. Um, I thought of this comparison, wanted to get your idea, your thoughts on it. Is he the new Gilbert Arenas? But instead of Arenas's like basic three-year prime, what if Che Gilgis Alexander has the career that maybe Arenas was supposed to have? I mean, that's quite a comparison there. Um, You know, Hibachi, Asian Zero, Mr. Arenas was, you know, at the height of his powers um, with the Washington Wizards there for some time. And, you know, was was a real catalyst for their probably better portion of that franchise's win streaks over the last decade and a half. Um, But I like the comparison, Um, you know, unguardable at times. You look at Shea's points. 31 and a half points on the season to go along with five boards and, you know, roughly six assists. That's massive numbers for still a very young player um, with a young core around him. So, you know, we've talked about a lot, the Thunder, you know, you start looking towards next year, getting Holmgren back, you know, adding another piece or two. This team could make a big jump. You know, they could be a top six team as early as next season. They really can. And and yeah, you mentioned the 31 points. That's kind of where that arenas comparison came from. You know, he's kind of a point guard, but he's more of a scorer than a facilitator. Like he looks to score first. Kind of John Moran is a bit like this as well, but maybe not quite to the extent. Uh, but the the scoring point guard that lives at the free throw line, that's kind of where I got that arenas. But super high on Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, a really weird stat I heard about him. The Thunder have lost 21 times this season when he's scored 30 or more points. Only Kobe Bryant and Allen Iverson had seasons uh, where there was there they had more losses while scoring 30 or more uh, over the last 20 seasons. So kind of a surprising stat, weird stat, but 
I mean, Shea Gilgis has scored over 30 so many times this season that it's kind of like almost every game at this point. Yeah, just about. That's half of their losses um, that they've you know accumulated there when him going over 30 or more. Um, but this is a young team, and I think that's what we've seen here of late over this final stretch is that they they are not quite ready for what we want them to be. But I really am pushing for them to make this play-in tournament because I think that type of atmosphere, that elevated level of play and focus that uh, will just be great for the DNA of this team moving forward so they understand what they need to be going into next year. Because this team, all the green grass is ahead of them. Everything good is in the future for this OKC Thunder squad. And if they can just get a taste this year, it would go a long way for players such as Giddy and Shea Gildress Alexander and your boy Jalen Williams. Yeah, Jalen Williams was my last thing I wanted to touch on. Uh, I'm just so impressed by him. I, we talked at the very top of the podcast about how it's rare that rookies are, you know, even even okay, even like reasonable players. But really rare that it's an above average NBA player. And I think Jalen Williams already is. He's already got a huge role on this team. So he's just one of the main guys, like you said, Shea Gilgis, Alexander's young supporting cast. Well, Jalen Williams has come in and, you know, taken the reins so strong. I just I just am just so impressed by his game. I, I'm a I'm a big fan. I mean, as you should be. This guy's got the NBA body already. Um, he's proven to be, you know an exceptional three-point shooter, you know, over 40% from beyond the arc. Um, he killed the Warriors at times uh, last night just with his size, his ability to create off the dribble. Um, you see his length and his wingspan. I'm just hoping he gets a haircut as he moves out through his career because I hate <laughs> the mop that he's got going on right now. I would agree. I'm rooting for that haircut as well, but a bright future for him. And for the Thunder, they just sit a half game up on the surprising, in a bad way, Mavericks, who sit in the 11th. They've also lost three straight games, uh, so they have not taken advantage of this Thunder slump. The Mavericks are 1-7 in seven in their last eight, Wes, completely falling apart. Uh, two of those losses were against the Hornets in that stretch, and uh, just a brutal season for the Mavericks. Um I just don't think they have it this year. Well, and this is unfortunate because in the playoffs, you want to see the best and brightest players. There's, you know, possibly no one brighter than Doncic, uh, Luca the Don, who we saw last year and how epic of uh, performances he had put up through their playoff runs. And if he doesn't make the playoffs, he just needs to look himself in the mirror because this team has been getting blown apart on the defensive end and there is zero commitment from Luka Doncic on the defensive end. Um, you know, watching a few of these games over the last week, he's turning the ball over and not even getting across half court. Um, the lack of effort that he's displaying is just seeping into the rest of this roster to where no one is competing on the defensive side. And that's why they've been blown out and giving up just massive point totals uh, just about every single game. Yeah, Doncic has not been playing well. Um, and like I said, the body language, which is kind of turning into leadership in the, all the wrong ways. Uh, I think he's fallen off people's MVP ballots. He's fallen off people's 
first team all NBAs as they're struggling, you know, here in the 11th seed. So we'll see what happens with him. But uh, he has been on first team all NBA, I believe, the last three years. So it would definitely be a surprise if he missed it. Yeah, and I would probably agree that his MVP um, ballots, even going forward, we can say in the next two to three years, if he doesn't improve on that side of the ball, being the defensive side, he's not going to get the votes because it's just been so bad uh, watching him of late. We know what he can do on offense. We know how masterful he can be and the type of shots he himself can get, let alone create for others. But when you don't play both ends or at least attempt give any sort of effort to play on the defensive side of the ball, it's going to be hard to garner votes for MVP when you have guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is a max effort player, or Joel Embiid, who has been playing dominant basketball on both sides of the court. Completely agree. So really a catastrophe uh, in Dallas. I I wonder if they'll be able to pull out um, that... 10 seed to to get into that play-in. The Thunder, like we said, have been struggling, but the Mavericks have had their chances and haven't capitalized. So uh, we'll see, but they just have not been competitive at all. No no co- no cohesiveness um, since the Kyrie trade and, and really just the team as a whole is a mess. Uh, Christian Wood just continues to get buried uh, by the coach, by the franchise. Um, they There was a quote out there that Mark Cuban said the top priority in the offseason was to sign Kyrie Irving and they someone followed up with what about Christian Wood and he said I'm not going to go through every single player it's like well you you volunteered the Kyrie thing so uh Christian Wood probably going to be on a different roster next year yeah this Mavericks team could look a lot different because even Kyrie Irving has already spilled the beans that he's going to be testing free agency to see what else is out there um I don't think this situation had turned out as well as he had hoped and that the chemistry with Luca had been as um, magical as Mark Cuban would have envisioned. Uh, You know, with them being dropping in the standings here of late, you would have assumed it would have been the opposite with the infusion of the, you know, supposed talent uh, that is Kyrie Irving. But the two of them have not worked well together and watching a few of their games like I talked about. A lot of it right now is a your turn, my turn. And um, that's not the recipe for success for any NBA team. And it was pretty clear that that was going to happen just because of how those two guys each individually play. So, I mean, maybe they thought they would just be so good at your turn, my my turn, that it wouldn't matter. But the rest of the roster is a mess. I. I just that that's why at the start of the year I I had them I think um in the play in was just because I didn't think their supporting cast was was very good uh to start the season. Well they made it even worse by trading two for one uh for Kyrie Irving. The rest of the roster just keeps getting worse and worse. Uh, it's just not a very good team. No they're not. They like you said they traded the two for one and one of those two players being Dorian Finney-Smith was their best defensive player on the roster. So getting rid of your best defensive player and then not, you know, being able to replace him and praying that your offense would win out, it's not worked well here for the Dallas Mavericks. Um they got a lot of things to work on. Um I don't know if Jason Kidd's job is, you know, is in question. I think he's still got another year to figure it out and get this team back to where it should be. But if this continues into next year, there could be a lot 
bigger whispers going on um, about this franchise and, you know, possibly Doncic looking outside of Dallas to play his career. Yeah, that's what I would be scared about for sure if I'm the if I'm the Mavericks. And as far as Kid goes, I, I think you're probably right he will stay, but I would not be surprised if he was fired. And I don't really even think it would be the wrong move if he was fired. So uh, I don't think he's done a good job with his team at all. I think he said some really weird things in the media, uh, especially over the last couple of weeks. So not really loving the job that uh, that kid has done uh, for this team. Um as we as we wrap up here, I do want to say that looks like the Pelicans are going to beat the Grizzlies as we record. Oh, so the wow. Pelicans are, yeah. So they are going to lock in uh, the play-in guaranteed, but also they might lock in an eighth seed uh, with that win potentially. So big win for them. It's a huge win, and uh, you know if, if that holds the standings as they are now, it'd be a Lakers Pelicans you know play-in tournament matchup. Pelicans and Lakers have had some good battles over the last couple of years, so that would be some entertaining basketball for us to watch. Uh, I'm really surprised that Pelicans were able to overcome um, you know, the Grizzlies in this matchup. I kind of chalked this up as a, a Grizzlies victory and maybe the Timberwolves moving up um, you know, by not playing uh, tonight in the, in the uh, standings in the Western Conference. But, you know, we're going to have to see here each game as we close out this season. We've already talked about the importance for each individual game. It's going to be really entertaining to see the movement uh, as we've been tracking here this last week as it continues throughout the rest of um, the season. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Pelicans were down 17 at half. Uh, so really nice, really nice effort from them. Doesn't look like it's all the way over yet, but it looks like it should be. Um, so we will see, but that's the West, man. It is exciting. Every game matters. Uh, I'm just trying to watch as much as I can of all these teams in this, in this range, because it's just, every game is like the March Madness that, that, that we love that the pro March Madness. Yeah. The pressure's on. Everyone is playing their best basketball. Everyone's locked in, you know, focused on the game at hand. And, uh, we're just going to tune in for the rest of the week, see how everything plays out. You know, the Mavericks are trying to do something special. Uh, you know, they're up two here in the fourth quarter versus the Kings. So they're not done just yet. That would be a huge win for them. They need it. Uh, so I think we'll have to go tune in on that one, Wes. Yep. Um, like we always say, we appreciate you guys listening and support from the fans. Uh, don't forget to follow us on social media, you know, on Twitter at the MS NBA pod and on Instagram at Moving Screen NBA. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys, everybody. Thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.